Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along. This week on Writer's Routine, we're chatting to Isabel Broom. She's just published her seventh novel. It's called Hello Again. It's escapist romantic fiction. They're all inspired by different parts of the world. Her stories, she's taken readers to uh, to Greece, to Prague, to Spain, to Italy, to Sri Lanka, to New Zealand. And the best part, most of the time, she actually has to go there to travel to research what she's writing. I mean, call that a day job. How's that work? Uh, we chat about how your idea of a story changes when you know it's going to be published how that affects the way that you see it when you start off. Also, you can hear about how lockdown has affected her routine and how what you're actually doing when you start a story is a little bit different to what you think it might be. And I always say this, I say the first draft of any book is you telling yourself the story, uh, whereas the second draft is you telling someone else. Um, And sometimes you have to write through all these ideas and and scenes and sequences and things to work out what's needed and what's not. And if you didn't write them, you wouldn't know enough about your character to have the final book as it is. It's all on the way with Isabel Broom. Stick around, it's a brand new writer's routine. Yes. Hello, welcome back, welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson and this is Writer's Routine. Quite the triumphant fanfare there. Uh, We have a look at how writers get their stuff done every day. Now, if you're enjoying the show, if you found us because of the uh, the Matt Haig chat that we did last week, uh, if, if you've been binging through all the other ones recently because of that, and maybe you've heard something that's really helped the way that you write, the way that you tell your stories, please do leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It takes just a few minutes, it really helps us out, and it also helps other writers who maybe need the tips from our authors get the tips from our authors. Uh, It goes a long way, I promise. You can let everyone know that this show is the best place to come and get writing tips and advice uh, over on Apple Podcasts. Just leave a quick review, that would be brilliant. Now this week, with the writing tips and advice, uh, is Isabel Broom. Her new book is Hello Again. It's all about Pepper, a mosaic artist. All right for some. Uh, who joins her elderly friend Josephine on the search of a long-lost love affair through Europe. Now, we talk about where she got that idea from, that initial idea, from a girl's weekend away. Uh, Also, when you hear that idea, uh, a long-lost love affair through Europe, when you hear that, it brings you the, the feels straight away, doesn't it? 
It really evokes things. Travel, love, adventure. We talk about how she delivers on that promise with her words on the page. You can also hear about how she plans her day, how that's changed through lockdown. And we get started, as we always do, with what Isabel sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. A lot of mess at the moment, actually. I've got quite a lo- I've got a lovely corner desk um, in my writing room in my little converted barn in Suffolk, and I've got lamps and pens, and uh, I've got a Harry Potter character that bends into weird positions. I've got uh, my book, my notebook, a big printer, a calendar, all sorts of wires, and plug-in microphones and plug-in cameras and things like that for doing YouTube. Um, yeah. Detritus, but it's all very important for the creative process. I like to think. We we were just talking about you moving out to Suffolk. When you moved, did you specifically need a space to write? Is to be, I, I would imagine if I was moving out into the country and if I was a writer, that would be high on my list. The ultimate dream. Was it the same for you? Definitely. Um, it it's lovely actually having a whole room. I kind of it's where I watch TV, but I have a lot of books in here. And I was like, the first thing I that I spent money on, that I spent serious money on, was my desk. Because I was like, well, I am a writer. I need a good desk. I think it's... it's <laughs> I, I convinced myself, basically. And yeah, it's just really nice. And I think actually having a place that you go to to write makes you work harder. Because sometimes I try and sit on the sofa and write, and I feel like I'm just dossing. It's a different mindset. It's very strange. Talk us through it because we're always into our desks, one of the things. Talk us through yours then. You spent serious money on it. Uh, t- tell us what it's equipped. How, how does it look? Well, it's it's like a solid pine, but it's it slips into the corner and then it's got drawers on either side. Um, and it was sort of part made. I got it from the Cotswold Company, which is, you know, posh. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's posh. It's not. It's not like end of the (laughs) like next level posh but it was 450 pounds which you know was half what my car cost so at the time it felt like quite an extravagance but I love it and it's solid and it's yeah it's lovely and if I'm sitting there at your desk staring at the screen is all of your work done on the screen are you jotting in in notepads maybe on post-it notes that are strewn everywhere I do have some serious post-it note situations, yeah. I uh, I tend to note like things to myself, little notes as I go into a chapter, like quick bullet points of things that have to happen, um, rather than working from a whiteboard or anything like that. I do have a whiteboard, but it's completely wiped clean. <laughs> it's propped up behind the printer, goading me, looking very forlornly empty. Um, I'm not one of those writers that sort of has a big display of post-its all over the wall and timelines and all sorts of stuff like that. I um I've tried to do that and it's just not the way that I work. So um I've reverted back to just sitting down and hoping for the best and using uh, a sort of rough synopsis to guide me through. How did you this is a, maybe a tough question to answer. It might be, the the answer might be obvious. How did you figure out though that that wasn't the way that you work? You were talking about post-it notes everywhere and, and working on the whiteboard and what 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 was it about it that made you think hang on this ain't for me? I think because my brain is a bit strange and I'm quite a visual person so I've got quite a photographic memory so when I when I travel and do my research I take a lot of pictures and I don't necessarily look at the pictures when I'm writing but I remember taking them so it's almost like I can see the snapshot in my mind and I think that if I fill my mind with too many things like post-its and words 
that's what I'll see and it will jumble up what I'm thinking. I think that's what it is. I think my mind just gets too full. Now being visual, that's interesting. Yeah. Around the room, what inspiration do you have? What what what, what is there that I can see that maybe sparks some creativity in you? I mean, uh, artworks or pictures or, or pictures from places that you have been? I've got a large uh, map of the world up on the wall because I write escapist fiction and I like to look up and sort of think, get the sense of where places are and that inspires me definitely. I've got a big canvas print of my first novel which my first editor gave to me as a gift which every time I'm struggling with an edit I look up and I think, well, you've done it before, Broom, come on, pull your socks up. There's plenty of these books. I have uh, a little shelf of all my books behind me as well within reach and I've got an award that I won. Um, I won Contemporary Novel of the Year at the Romantic Novelists Association in 2019. And that's a that's a lovely little thing to... I sometimes pick it up and hold it and think, I wrote something that really connected with people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it spurs me on. Because there are a lot of times with writing where it feels impossible and you think, right, this is the one. This is the book that's going to break me and uh, show me up for the imposter that I am. And then somehow you get to the end and you do it again. So I think it's good to remind yourself in tough time. It's fascinating, isn't it? That, 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 that I think that happens for, for, for every writer that you, you get to the point, even like writers that have published, I don't know, a billion books. And, and, they, and they get to that point in every single one where they completely forget that they have done that many, many, many times yeah. before. And people, people always think that it gets easier, but I think it gets harder. I think because... I think, well, I naturally tend to challenge myself and push myself further with every book. And I don't just want to write the same book over and over again. I want to push the boundaries in terms of themes and character and plot devices. And I want them to be better and bigger each time. So, you know, that makes them become much harder to write every time. But I think if I'd just get bored if I was just doing the same old thing. That's true of everything in my life, I think, including writing. And let me pick up on that then, because you are, I mean, you've already said you're writing escapist fiction, so you're a genre a genre writer, and there are certain limitations to, to writing in any genre. How are you, in, but, but then you also mentioned you're pushing boundaries. How are you pushing boundaries in every story within the confines of kind of what you're allowed to, to, to write and market? Uh, th- through character, I suppose, primarily, and through more big sort of life-changing hard-hitting things going on in these books and um, my fifth novel I decided that I wanted to write um, a character from a male perspective for half of the book um, from someone that had been in the army who'd lost a limb and I knew nothing about being in the army or what it would be like to lose a limb and I spent about three months sort of traveling up and down the country meeting boys who had been through it and spending a lot of time with them and and that was incredible and such a, a journey in terms of what I learned And to be able to then translate that onto the page was really, really, well, it was just a great experience, really. And it was, it made the character all the deeper. And I think that sort of thing, always trying to push, you know, challenge myself to learn more about people and what they go through, and then turn that into something that will hopefully connect with other people. I'm I'm really, I'm really fascinated by this. And I've never really thought about it before. Because if I was a if I was a, a, a you know an Olympic sprinter for instance my goal would be to, to to run as fast as I can and and I and I could do that by simply running more and, and eating better and all of that and same if I was a weightlifter uh, I want to lift as much as I can those are like quite attainable goals when you're a writer what are the um 
aside from obviously selling loads of books, what what, how, what what's the kind of the goal of getting better? How do you what do you want to ta- what do you what would you like to attain to know that you're getting better with your storytelling? If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, well, I I suppose it's a mixed bag, really. It's a, I think, as well as challenging yourself, you're always trying to get a better a get a better response from readers, um, a bigger, more excited response from your publisher, because <clears throat> sometimes things just happen at the right time and it's the right story at the right time. But some, you know, if, if a story is amazing and really well written and really strikes a chord with everybody that reads it, then it's going to, it's going to make a bigger splash. Um, and I suppose that's what I'm striving for. And I think just keeping up with other authors and authors that I admire. And I think that's the kind of level I want to be at. I want to be able to, my books to sit next to these books and actually have earned their place. I think it always comes back to character. I think if you've got a set of characters that seem real, that people care about and invest in, then you'll read about them doing anything. You'll read about them taking the bins out. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, we're trapped on a space rocket and it's going to go to Pluto and aliens are going to come and you're going to save the world. It doesn't have to be everything happening. It can be very quiet things. It can be just sharing a look across the room with another person and having that feeling. If you can... You know, if you've got a character that people love and care about, then they'll be absolutely enthralled by that. Um, so that's what I'm really trying to work on. And I think if you look at any really big book success, um, it will always come down to the characters. Now, the show is writer's routine, Isabel. So talk us through yours. So the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write, uh, how does it look? Talk us through the whole thing. When do you get up? When will you eat? When will you start work? Go, go for the lot. Right. Well, at the moment, I've, uh, <laughs> I'm on the 90-day plan, the Joe Wicks 90-day plan. So I'm starting my days with a hit session for my pains um, because I was worried that lockdown, I'd just get bigger and wider and wider. So I, uh, I've been starting the day with exercise, which has actually been really good because it, it does wake up your mind as well as your body. Um, and you've had a lot of water and a nice, a decent breakfast before you're sitting down to write. And I think that does that does help because you don't get distracted then by hunger. And you've also, you also feel quite good about yourself. You're a bit smug. You started the day with, a, with some weights. Um, and then I tend to, at the moment, I'm writing between 11 and 12. And I do that with a, a group of other writers that are all at different stages. And we have a, a WhatsApp group called Word Races, um, which started with just two of us. It was myself and Lucy Vine. Uh, she had a tight deadline and I said well I want I want to start my next book let's write together every day and it's sort of grown and expanded into about 10 people Um, and we sort of cheer each other along and help each other out when we're struggling Um, and you do just sit for an hour and everybody at the end will give you their total for the hour and it it, can I come in and ask is, is that not distracting is it not like if I was sat around a desk table like literally figuratively with someone um not doing it socially distanced if I was just sat there and I would, I would, I would find it so distracting to talk to people, and I'd probably do the same while I was texting as well. How, how have you found that aspect? Um, I think, well, I think I write well in short bursts, and I think quite a lot of writers do. Um, I know that a lot of them will use as a technique called the pomodoro, pomodoro, the pomodoro technique. Pomodoro, which yes. Is Twenty-five minutes on, and then and you have a break, um, and you just you can really focus in those that set time, and it's. I mean, it works for me, and I, do, I quite like writing retreats as well, where you do sort of sit in a room with everyone else and everyone has their laptops on their knees and 
and you're writing away and everybody's focused, you get into that sort of mood. And I like knowing that other people are writing at the same time as me. It helps me along. Um, because when I wasn't before lockdown, I would go to the library and write there because I think I get more distracted at home by just generally being at home. So I have struggled a bit with that in lockdown, but I'm getting into a better routine. I'm doing about two, three hours. So I do an hour in 11 to 12. Then I'll take the dogs out and have a bit of lunch and do a few errands. And then I'll come back at sort of two thirty, three o'clock and do another hour, an hour and a half. And how is that second burst? How, how are you finding that being productive? Well, I like, because I write for an hour and then I down tools and, and I'll stop, even if I'm in the middle of a sentence, I'll stop in the middle of a chapter. Um, and then you, you're sort of eager to get back to it rather than sitting and writing for as long as you can to the point where you run aground. Um, I think it works better for me to be eager to get back to the, to the scene or to the story. And then you think about it in the interim, you think about it over lunch mm-hmm. and you, the characters are still there. You're still with them in that scene. Um, and quite often things fall into place that maybe wouldn't have done if you just sat down and written the whole thing in one sitting. Is this learned for, or, is, or are things just falling into place and this is the way it has to be? Or have you kind of realised over time that, you, I mean, you, you just said that you're, you're good in short bursts, but that, that, it, that it works for you to have that gap between your writing sessions? No matter what you're doing, you will stop because it makes your second half better. How learned is that? Yeah, that's, that's definitely learned. Um, I had, when I was writing at the beginning, I was doing two books a year and I had a full time job. So I didn't have any choice but to write in the only time that I had, which was five o'clock in the morning till seven. And that was it. And I wrote every day in that time slot. And I was very productive because I just I had to be to meet my deadlines um, and be able to keep working. And then I'd sometimes edit in the evenings. Um, and I think when I stopped, when I um, I took redundancy and I when I moved out to Suffolk, and I was freelancing here and there, but I was mostly trying to write. And I found that I was getting less work done when I had whole three days just to write than I was when I had those two hours of productive time before. So I've, for me to, to achieve, I have to kind of break my day up into chunks. Pre-lockdown, when you were being a full-time writer, you weren't doing the freelancing, but you knew you needed to fill your day with other stuff and you were taking yourself off to the library uh what else were you doing during the day to, to kind of make uh, to kind of fill things up that's what i'm doing um there's always something to do isn't there um, <laughs> i know it sounds so long ago so right 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 when i started doing interviews at the beginning of lockdown and no one had a clue uh what was happening and they were like well i'll tell you i'll tell you my writing routine during lockdown and now it's just become this is what it is for everyone <laughs> it's just... yeah it's true everyone's got the same the same routine well sort of the same routine um I was traveling actually I was in New Zealand um for pretty much the whole of March I almost got stuck there um I flew out early March for a holiday and was um but I actually started writing my new novel the eighth novel while I was there because I had an idea it was supposed to be a holiday but because it was a solo trip and I was doing a lot of hiking um the idea came to me sort of quite well formed and I was so excited about it that I started writing longhand which was great because I hadn't felt like that for for ages actually um but before that I mean when I'm up against it I'll write anywhere I take my laptop and write on the train write in cafes write in the library um and around work and seeing friends I'm quite a social person so 
Um, I go in and out of London a lot, or I was going out in and out of London a lot. I do a lot of traveling, walk the dogs, hang out with family. Just there always seems to be something to do. And I've started this YouTube channel now as well. So I'm interviewing authors on that, which is, as you know, it's very time consuming when you <laughs> trying to look, when you've got lots of dates in the diary and you're trying to juggle everything and then edit things. And yeah, it's fun. Yes, it fill it fill, it fills things up. So um, so at kind of half three every day when when you've finished your your writing for the day, how good are you at, at switching off from the story, or do you sometimes find yourself at seven eight o'clock like desperate to get back to it? Yeah, and if if I'm desperate to get back to it, I would always get back to it. And sometimes I'll write for longer if it's going well. Um, yeah, it, it really depends. I, I really love short stories for that because you can sit down and you can say, right, I'm going to write a short story this afternoon. And you can start this piece of work and have it done within three, four hours, completely edited, finished, done. And that's such a sense of achievement. I love them for that reason. Novels obviously take a lot longer than that to get that payoff, that gl- glorious feeling of being done at the end. And um, aside from the gap that you give yourself in the middle of the day and obviously the Joe Wicks hit workout, uh, when you when you are struggling to get the words down, is there anything is there anything you do to to, to just help you out to to try and unclog the block? Go for a walk mainly, um, or do something really mindless like ironing or washing up or hoovering or something where your body's active and your mind's allowed to wander. Um, I find long car journeys really help me actually. Um, I I do call friends sometimes, other authors. I talk to my mum. Um, sometimes just telling someone the stories so far will help ideas fall into place or having somebody sort of listen and then ask questions that maybe you haven't thought to ask yourself um, is very helpful so there's lots of things I don't get writer's block very often my trouble is I have too many ideas and don't have time to write them all down (laughs) I have a notebook of ideas that I carry around with me and I jot things down and it's if anyone ever found it they think it belonged to a mad woman (laughs) It will just say random sentences like he danced like a windmill. <laughs> like I have no idea what that means, but maybe it will one day be in a book. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
We'll get back to it with Isabel in just a sec. Uh, Before there, a very quick reminder, if you enjoy these podcasts, if you're learning lots about writing, about maybe changing your day to get the best out of your idea, if you think they're worth a few quid, a couple of dollars a month, well, you can do it. It's really easy, actually. Just support us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can help the show there. You get thanks, you get merch, you even get a way for your book to sponsor this show. Now, it doesn't need to be a lot. I'm British as well. I find it a little bit awkward talking about it and almost begging. But uh, if you love what we do, if you want to see it carry on, if you want us to bring you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can, um, you can help that happen. Get yourself over, pledge what you can. A little bit every month is brilliant at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Isabel Broom talking about her seventh romantic escapist novel, uh, Hello Again. You can hear about how the idea that she started with was wildly different from the book that she finished with uh, and why it changes along the way. You can also hear about how the idea came from a, from a girl's trip across Europe. And also we, we get back to it with what happens when you're, when you're now writing a second book. Because it must change. You know it's going to be published. You know that you can get it done. How does that make you think differently when you're beginning things again? There's almost certainty that you know that the book's gonna, that what you envisage for it is gonna is gonna happen, and you've got this great supportive team around you that are going to be hopefully as excited as you, which makes I th- I find when it when it's sort of went from the point after I got signed and I had an agent and an editor who really believed in me, it felt more collaborative. That's really exciting. Whereas before you're sort of out in the on your own and you're you have to mo- motivate yourself to keep going. And that was, I mean, I had done it for years and years and years, but I find it a lot easier now, that motivation. And as I've learned from doing, obviously, the seven books and now doing number eight, that I have learned about audience and I've learned what works and what doesn't. I've done enough edits now to have learned a lot of lessons about plot. And I think that my writing process now is a lot tighter and I'm much more aware of the reader when I'm writing, um, which can sometimes be good and sometimes be bad. But it's it is exciting, and it's always very exciting when things happen, like you see the cover for the first time, or you hold the physical books when they turn up at the door, a big box of them. That always feels really exciting. When you go, I mean, I go abroad and find my foreign editions in in bookshops overseas, which is just incredible. There's nothing more bizarre yet wonderful than I walked into this tiny bookshop in Lake Como in Italy and found my book, and I was like. This, that was a pinch me moment, you know, and there are lots of those in uh, when you're a writer. You said about learning the rules and about getting getting kind of better at writing and learning what readers want. Uh, if, when, you, when you're writing es- escapist fiction, what, what have you learned about what an escapist fiction story needs to do? What are the, the rules of the genre that you're working in? You have to show someone or show your reader a side to a place that they may not have seen. So it's not you're not writing a guidebook. You're not. Is it, there's a. There's, you've got to strike the balance between showing somebody a place and just throwing facts at them and describing things verbatim. Because I don't think that's very interesting. I think what makes place interesting is how it affects people and and the feeling of being there rather than what you're seeing necessarily. If that makes sense. Um, I only really write about places that that move me in some way or I feel a connection to because that's where I begin my stories is usually with some sort of emotion. Um, 
and that's what I try to do. I try to go sort of down the back alleys of places and peel back the lid and try and give the reader something that they're not going to get from Lonely Planet or, you know, from a package holiday, so to speak. I want to go a bit further than that, give them something that they can't get anywhere else. You're doing that with your tone and with your voice. Now, I would imagine writing a, a crime and thriller story, it's yeah, quite easy to get the tone and the voice. You understand the way that the mood, the way that the weather affects everything. Uh, how hard is it with writing escapist fiction to understand the um, the slightly uplifting tone and, and voice that the reader needs to, to read this in? I, I suppose it just, it sort of comes naturally. I mean, I mean, every author has a voice. But it's like when you say someone has a type, you don't necessarily recognise it yourself, but somebody else would be able to a mile off. Like my friends would say, oh, that guy's your type, but I would I would never know. <laughs> I'm trying to, it's weird to explain. Um, no, I, I, I really, have you had to work on it though, through your stories? Have you had to, to refine the, the, the way you are using language and, and tone and, and voice uh, to... to because writing something about places means it's quite evocative and and that that, that must be quite hard how have you managed to refine that oh I th- just it's going to sound really obvious but just practice just lots of writing practice and i i hate a cliche always avoid a cliche try and i'm quite a sensory researcher so when i go to a place to research i don't just write down what i see i make recordings um i think about the smells I think about what I can hear if I'm sitting somewhere, like everything I can hear. As you sit on the beach, you can hear you can hear the sea and you can hear the wind, but what else can you hear? What can you smell? What colour are things? You know, things aren't yellow and red there. Think of something, think of a better way to describe them. I think push the boundaries. When you are travelling to these different places, um, do you know what you're looking for? Sometimes, but mostly not. And that's what makes it so much fun. I my favorite thing to do when I'm in a new city or a new place is to pitch up somewhere for breakfast have a map open and just pick a location and decide I'm going to walk there today and whatever I find on the way there may or may not make it into the book I'm a bit of a nomad and like to wander and just see see what gets under my skin see what could work and I usually have an idea of the plot before I go so and an idea of my characters so I kind of have the characters with me alongside me and I think about how they would react to certain things and what they would like and let them lead me. It's interesting that you have an idea of the plot before you go. Um, the new one is Hello Again. Uh, talk, talk us through the very first moment that the idea for what became that plot came into your mind. <laughs> oh well, it was, It's quite funny actually. I was in uh, Athens on a city break with three of my good friends from university and me and my friend were talking about she's she's been dating for years and she's sort of given up on London men. She's like, oh, I can't I can't bear them anymore. She said that she'd had um, a fling with a German man once when she was traveling in South America. And we were talking about the merits of German men. And then literally 10 minutes later, walking down the road, these three guys walked past us. And one of them, this tall blonde man, said hello to my friend. And she said hello back. And then a couple, of, he carried on walking, but then he ran back and asked for her number and he was German. And uh, it was this whole thing where she, she took his number and she didn't want to contact him. And she kept saying, you know, this is a girl's holiday. I'm not going to 
spend time with a guy that I'm never going to see again who lives in Germany. And then we just kept bumping into him. It was like serendipitous. The universe was just pushing this man under her nose constantly. Um, And I was like, I love that moment, that sort of, you know, where you meet someone and then you meet them again. It's actually really rare. It doesn't happen that often. And that was how the idea for the book began. I was like, I want a character who meets someone who completely changes her life. And that's that was the starting point for Hello Again. And then what happened next? I know that that's quite an open ended question. But what, what happened in your mind between the time where you've had that very first idea of what you kind of vaguely want the story to be about and you sitting there typing away at your laptop for the first time. How are you uh, figuring out who the character is going to be, what they're going to do vaguely in the, in the meantime? I sort of peeled it backwards and I thought, why would my character be abroad? Why in a, And why does she need to meet someone? What's What's missing from her life and what does she want? And then I started to think about locations as well. Um, I decided that I wanted to write an artist character and I've wanted to do that for a while. One of my sisters is an artist and I wanted to write somebody with an artistic sensibility who sees the world in a very visual way. Um, And as soon as I knew that I wanted her to be an an artist, I started thinking about locations that are sort of known for their artistic links. Uh, I thought about Barcelona, about the tiles in Lisbon, and then the story sort of grew from there. Um, and I decided to do more than one location and give her a bit of a road trip around Europe to these beautiful locations. Well, the idea that I began with is very different to the book that i am now got in my hand, um, as is often the case um, when you go through several edits. And this book was actually went through two quite heavy rewrites um, because the first version just had too much going on. There was too much around the central protagonist sort of subplots that had to be taken out and characters that had to be taken out and um, to really get the thrust of the central story which was a girl goes abroad on the trail of a long lost love affair and ends up having one of her own is the sort of bare bones of the story um, so I had to I because so much was going on I lost my way a few times um, but luckily I had a good editor to pull me back in But I think, and I always say this, I say the first draft of any book is you telling yourself the story, uh, whereas the second draft is you telling someone else. Um, And sometimes you have to write through all these ideas and, and scenes and sequences and things to work out what's needed and what's not. And if you didn't write them, you wouldn't know enough about your character to have the final book as it is, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. When you're writing your first draft, how much are you thinking about the, the 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 word that is coming after the one you've just got down? Does it does it have to have any quality, or is it just quantity at that point? Um, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, when I write, I don't I don't agonise over every single word. I'll sort of you know be hammering away on the keyboard, and then I'll come to a sort of natural stop. Maybe I come to a passage of description, and I. I'll sit and stop and really think about it and think, how can I say this without sounding cliche or how can I make it sound different? Um, But it's writing is a very weird, magical process where you sort of sit and you take a minute and then you start writing and the characters sort of almost speak through you, Um, even though you're controlling them. It's very strange. I'm I'm yet to, to hear anyone really explain it other than just, you sort of sit down and it and it happens <laughs> like you're the vessel and and 
it's all coming out through you. Um, I think in terms of words, actual words, I think when I, it's laid down the line for me when I'm really forensically pulling it to pieces and getting rid of all the repetition and, and everything else. Um, that's when I start thinking about individual words. But the first flow, the first draft is, yeah, just get the words down, worry about them later, just tell the story, just tell the story quickly, as quickly as you can. And then once you've got this body of words, you can start shaping it into something that resembles publishable work <laughs> rather than just a mass of uh, repetitious stuff. Yeah. Taking you back to your road trip very quickly, um, how, how much did you know about Hello Again before you started writing? So she goes on this 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 tour around much of Europe. She goes to different places. Uh, before you sit down to even write the first sentence, are you aware that she's going to take in these different cities? Do you know the ending at that point? When, when do these things become clear to you? Yeah, I knew I had the, the plot mapped out um, and I knew the order that things were going to happen. Um, which later changed actually in the edit process. But I think it's, I have started, I think out of all my books, I've only started one where I didn't know how it was going to end. And in fact, I didn't know exactly how it was going to end until I was two thirds of the way through. And I actually really enjoyed that process in a way, because I I was like, I don't know whether characters, which decision this character is going to make. And that was quite fun, but I've learned I've been burned and I've learned that you need to, you do really need to know how it's going to end before you start because otherwise you just keep writing and writing. And also it it, it helps your editor sleep easier to know that you know where you're going, at least a gist of where you're going. Um, and yeah, and you have to, you have to sort of hem it in, I suppose. It's part of the structure. Um, once you have your, your beginning and your end and then you start to build your plot points so you'll have, something happening in the sort of you know the first uh, around 20,000 words another big moment at the midpoint which turns everything on its twists everything on its axis and then you start to pull everything away from your character and I think if you follow that rule you don't have those rules and those beats and plot points you shouldn't get too lost in theory anyway. <laughs> how much of that uh that that general plot outline do you do, do, how does it translate to your day-to-day writing? When you sit there in the morning, how much do you know about wh- how much you need to get done and what you need to get down every day? I I don't I used to try and go for word counts, but I think it's better to be because sometimes you'll sit down and you'll write 2000 words in an hour and it will be a a fun light-hearted scene probably with lots of dialogue because I find dialogue quite easy and that sort of flows really easily out through me whereas there'll be another day where I'll only write 300 words but it's the opening of chapter one for example that's really really important or there's a really pivotal moment that you just keep going over and over and over until it's right um so I I just try to do the best I can um and try not to beat myself up if I had a have a bad day because I know that I'll have a good day to counteract it um and I do I I will sit down at the start of a chapter I will outline the chapter quickly just just on the manuscript just this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens so I, I don't get lost when I'm writing um and quite often you think oh I've all these things are going to happen I'm going to run out of space which you often do <laughs> but then you just carry it over until the next chapter I like short chapters you, you said right at the start of our chat you were talking about character and how it kind of is the character that drags you in and drives you through uh, when you're writing the the type of 
romantic escape escapist fiction that you are um I, I would imagine it's quite easy for a, a character to resemble other characters that have gone before so um you, you know that the, the, your plot is a, a woman traveling around the world uh there, there's aspects of eat pray love in there i mean you know I, I know that's memoir but you understand what i mean um how, how hard is it to make your character unlike anything that has gone before and how keen are you for that to happen and so they they're believable and real oh certainly um you always want them to be different and i think i think mine are all different some of them are are trickier than others some of them are a bit more immature some of them are you know sweet as pie but they've all got different motivations they've all got different reasons for the trips that they're taking um and the situation that they're in and it's not it's never with a character it's never a whole life a whole it it's something that's happening to a person and how they react to it so i think you could have you could write a book about the same character over and over going through different things and it would feel like a different i suppose a different chapter of that person's life um but i th- how do i get them to be distinct i don't know i'm i i try to be aware obviously not to to have anyone similar and have them have their own little character foibles or their own sort of eccentricities. Um, I think it's important to flesh out a character, obviously, before you start writing, to think about who they are. I sometimes will do a sort of a Q&A with my character where I pose questions to them and see how they come up. Um, and often that, that com- it just sort of comes through naturally and the characters start to become their own people. What type of questions are you asking your character in those Q&A? Things like, um, what was their favourite subject at school? Um, what did they, who did they vote for in the last election? Um, what's their favourite item of clothing in their wardrobe? Things like that. What does their kitchen look like? What do they eat for breakfast? Just little asides, things that you know about your closest friends, basically. Do you have to like them all at that point? Before you've started writing and before you've started following them on their journey, do you have to like them for instance when you're asking them who they voted for if, if they, that doesn't align with you in quite a radical way is that an issue I know this is quite absolute is that an issue not really I mean I, I definitely like some of my characters more than others and sometimes they frustrate me and they can be very stubborn <laughs> um, and that just makes me sound like I'm mad but they are they do feel like their own people and I'm like oh okay that's what that's how you're reacting to that is it and it's very weird you have like a conversation with yourself in your own head because obviously they all they all live in your own in your head but they do become so real by the end you spend so much time with them over such a long time lastly um when you see i mean you've already said that you 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 tour bookshelves and find foreign language editions of your books when you and that you you think you know you're reading more than you have before when when a reader sees an Isabel Broom book on the shelf what what are you hoping they are thinking I'm hoping they're thinking that they're going to laugh that they're going to learn something perhaps about themselves or about other people that they haven't before that they're going to feel like maybe they're going to have a connection maybe something that they felt or been through in the past they're going to hear it and see it in the book they're going to be whisked off to somewhere on an adventure, somewhere they've never been before, hopefully, or or somewhere that they love that they want to 
go back to and feel familiar to. Um, a lot of people have contacted me to say that after they read my books, they've actually travelled to the places, to the settings, which is the ultimate compliment, really, um, when people... It happens... It, my second book, I think, actually has been the most successful in sending lots of people over to Prague for long weekends. Everybody was really, really wanting to go after that book. So that was that's pretty special. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Isabel Broom for coming on. You can get her new book. Uh, use the link in the episode notes below and over at writersroutine.com. Look, I know the link takes you to, to, to one of the big boys and it would be much better if you could go to independent books. And it would be much better if you could go to independent bookshops. I understand all of that. I agree with all of that. It's just this way. I do get a little bit of kickback, which which really helps us out. So it, it's win, 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 I guess. Now, next week on the show, we're chatting to uh, Jenny Fields from uh, America. Uh, she's just published Atomic Love. You might have seen that. It was pretty big over the summer. Uh, she'll be on next week to tell us how she got it down. In the meantime... Support us over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can get in touch over at writersroutine.com. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts uh, and also give us a follow as well. We are at Writers Pod on Twitter. Um, and I will see you next week with Jenny Fields on Writers Routine. Bye. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.